I'm going to revisit our Wednesday evening session just a little bit here. When last Wednesday, some of you were there and others weren't, of course, but we looked at the simile of the Saw Sutta in the Middle Length Discourses. And basically, the story is that there's a monk who's um, become quite involved with some of the bhikkhunis and uh, seems like feeling pretty possessive and when someone would criticize um, one of those uh, bhikkhunis that he was friends with he'd get really angry and it sounds like even kind of vengeful and the buddha was trying to impress upon him that he should um well, in a way, have a more professional relationship. <laughs> so, you know, not not having that possessiveness that um, maybe someone would be more likely to have in lay life. Um, and he's telling him, you know, this uh, getting angry um, is is what we want to uh, really work with and counter counteract. So he, you know, the Buddha in various ways talks about you know the the problems that come up when we react with anger and uh, how we should take care of the mind and what really comes down to is that our mental states are really held in the utmost importance by the buddha because of course our our actions by speech and body are um, crucial, but it all starts with the mind. So really considering how, um, how we think and how to train the mind um, to have wholesome mental states. And so, but in the, in the course of the sutta, the Buddha says, so if someone's criticizing your friends, you think to yourself, my mind will remain unaffected and it'll be filled with loving kindness and not inner hatred for this person. And even if someone is hitting them with sticks or whatever, you know, stones or uh, harming them physically, you still have that kind of mental state of, of being unaffected, calm. And even if someone is criticizing you or physically abusing you, you have that same mental state of calm and peace and loving kindness, starting with that person and spreading out to everyone else. And of course, this, this on Wednesday night really brought up some, um, some feeling and some examples of abuse and um, how do we handle it and then it's important i think to recognize always when we look at the suttas that the buddha is speaking to a particular person in a particular context and there are other suttas that probably address other aspects of what you might um, see happening there so the buddha does talk about having boundaries and we did a day long on boundaries not too long ago and how we shouldn't put ourselves um, in positions where we're likely to be abused if we can help it. Uh, you know, the simile of the saw is so striking because at the end he talks about even if bandits with a two-handled saw come and saw off your arms and legs, you still don't have a mind filled with hatred. You have a mind of loving kindness. That's a pretty high bar, but it's to emphasize the importance of taking care of the mind. Um, that this is more important um, than whatever we might think we accomplish in, in life, because that's what we carry with us after we die. That's what is the ground for whatever it is that we do, the karma we make. However, on a practical level, and even, even in the service of protecting and training the mind, we want to uh, try to create and gravitate towards situations where 
things are wholesome, there's kindness, there's support, there's uh, a lack of threat where you can feel at peace and you can practice meditation and we can encourage the mind more and more in a positive direction. So being careful about who we spend time with and the situations we put ourselves in. So I, I was having a talk with someone who was at the Sutta session on Wednesday night, who also brought up one of the situations that, that came to mind and how do you handle this when someone is really being abusive? Maybe even, um, you know, at a level that could be uh, charged with a crime kind of abusive. And so we were talking about, you know, when is it appropriate to really take action against someone? And um, so in uh, um, this person asked actually if we could talk about this today. So I brought a sutta um, along <laughs> and I'm gonna share it, I think. And I have to go back here and share. And it's called abuse. Now, you've probably heard about this sutta before, but I want to take a fresh look at it and really look at the details. So this is from the Sanyutta Nikaya. It's in the book of it's in the seventh Sanyutta or seventh book, and it's about uh, Brahmins, the whole book, and then this is the second sutta, so seven two. On one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Rajagaha in the bamboo grove, the squirrel sanctuary, and the Brahmin Akosaka Bharadvaja, or Bharadvaja the Abusive, heard it is said that the Brahmin of the Bharadvaja clan has gone forth from the household life into homelessness under the ascetic Gotama. So basically one of his relatives came to the Buddha and actually we have that story too, this relative of uh, this <laughs> um, Bharadvaja, the abusive, came to the Buddha and, and was, was angry and abusive himself. And then the Buddha started teaching him and he got so inspired that he decided to become a monk. Now, this person who is his relative has also become angry. So angry and displeased, hearing that his relative has gone forth, approaches the Blessed One and abuses and reviles him with rude, harsh words. But when he has finished speaking, the Blessed One says to him, what do you think, Brahman? Do your friends and colleagues, kinsmen and relatives, as well as guests come to visit you? So now you have to imagine, like, how does it feel when someone is really laying into you with a lot of anger and accusations and probably a lot of things that aren't true? And, you know, the kind of feeling that is really natural to have is have that maybe defensiveness, maybe fear, maybe anger arise in us. And... But the Buddha, of course, sees the Buddha. So it's not like I'm saying we have to, you know, show up like the Buddha every day, but we are trying, right? We want to use the Buddha's example as best we can. So he says to him <coughs> about this, you know, this has got to be a pretty disarming question. You know, do you have people come visit you? <laughs> he says, sometimes they come to visit. Master Gotama. Now, I think that's very interesting that they put in this Master Gotama because, you know, it's like, is this person really going to be that respectful uh, in his address? I'm not sure. But anyhow, that's what it says here. He said, well, do you then offer them some kind of food, maybe a meal or a snack? Snack? I, I don't know what the poly is for snack, but here we are. <laughs> Sometimes I do, Master Gotama. But if they do not accept it from you, then to whom does the food belong? Well, if they don't accept it from me, then um, 
it still belongs to me. Or it says to us, the you know, kind of a language thing there. So too, Brahman, we who do not abuse anyone, who do not scold anyone, who do not rail against anyone, refuse to accept from you the abuse and scolding and tirade you let loose at, the, at me, at us. It still belongs to you, Brahman, it still belongs to you. And then the Buddha goes on to say, one who abuses his own abuser, who scolds the one who scolds him, who rails against the one who rails at him, he is said to partake of the meal, to enter upon an exchange. But we do not partake of the meal. We do not enter upon an exchange. It still belongs to you, Brahman. It still belongs to you. And then the, the Brahman says, the king and his retinue understand the aesthetic Gotama to be an arahant, yet Master Gotama still gets angry. So he's reading the Buddha's way of speaking to him as having anger behind it. So I'm guessing there was some energy there, like, hey, dude, <laughs> this is your problem. <laughs> I'm probably being pretty clear about it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking this on. You're stuck with that energy. That's your problem. You need to notice that. Or maybe he wouldn't say it like that. That's probably not so. <laughs> but then the, the Buddha says, how can anger arise in one who is angerless or has no anger? in the tamed one of righteous living, in one liberated by perfect knowledge, in the stable one who abides in peace. One who repays an angry man with anger, thereby makes things worse for himself. Not repaying an angry man with anger, one wins a battle hard to win. So, I mean, the Buddha is acknowledging too, this is not easy to do. This is not a common thing if someone is angry with us to not also take on that same energy but when we can to not come back with anger to not come back aggressive then we win the battle and he says that when we do that we're practice for the welfare of both for our own and the others and knowing that the foe is angry he mindfully maintains his peace. Is there more? Just two pages. Aha. Uh -huh. When he achieves the cure of both his own and the others, the people who consider him a fool are unskilled in the Dhamma. So there are other suttas where the same kind of thing happens, where someone is very peaceful and doesn't respond when someone's being abusive and someone else says, is it out of fear or is it out of, um, you know, I don't remember what the other possibilities are, but you know, like for what reason do you not fight back? Why aren't you like laying into this person? And it's, it's like, they don't have enough understanding of what happens when you do fight back to um, to appreciate that this person is actually taking the high road, right? So this is what the Buddha is saying. When a person thinks, oh, well, that person's a fool because they're not responding to this tirade, um, that, that then those people really don't understand a Dhamma. So here at the end of this one, a little bit, seems a little bit kind of, um, almost magical <laughs> that this um, person who was a moment ago quite angry says, magnificent, magnificent, I want to be a monk. And then he becomes a monk and then he becomes an arahant. <laughs> but, you know, the, that kind of transition that we often see in the suttas obviously has a lot more around it where 
the person is so affected by the Buddha's kindness and understanding and clarity and probably feels that transformation in themselves. Yeah, you can stop sharing. Thank you. Um, that, you know, this is, this is really um, like an interesting thing to almost can imagine your way through and feel if we take some situation where we've been on, you know, the, the receiving end of this kind of experience, how would it have looked or how would it look to kind of take this response of solidity and clarity internally, if we can do that, or even if we can't, uh, being able to walk away now the real question is when is it in a, when is doesn't it work to walk away? So the person who was talking to me about their situation, they had a similar situation with the before, and they did basically walk away. And now a year later, it's happening again. So when is it appropriate to take more action? And I think that what we what we want to try to sort out is what's going on in the mind being really attentive to that and then making the best decision we can about what the options are in order to respond to whatever is happening so the person i was talking with i was i was very impressed that their um their way of approaching it was not coming from anger resentment fear um any kind of like wanting to get back at this person, but really like, how can I get through to this person that what they're doing is not acceptable, really not acceptable. And in this case, the person has a number of options and their, their decision, their, their, they were very clear that coming back with any kind of aggression was not going to be the right thing. So this is this is really in line with the Buddha's teaching. We'll see it. We can see in other places where the Buddha really, you know, the, the question is, wouldn't that monk in the simile of the saw, shouldn't he be protecting the nuns if they're being abused? There are um, indications of the Buddha recognizing that protecting others is is important and good it's like when he says this thing like you're practicing for your benefit and the benefit of the other person it's like what is that what is the action that's going to be beneficial what can interrupt this unwholesome behavior is it possible to do that without harm is it possible to do that even if there is some superficial harm not the long-lasting harm that kind of thing. Um, in terms of monks and nuns, uh, we actually have a, a rule that the Kunis are supposed to not spend the Reigns residence somewhere where there are no monks. That's really about protection. The brother monks should be supportive and protective of the Kunis. So it's like, it's not that the Buddha is saying, don't protect. He's saying, don't don't destroy your own mental states. That's the focus. So in the example that I'm not going to give you details about, obviously, but to to really consider, okay, okay, if I really want the good of everyone here, sometimes it takes responding with um, some kind of um, something verbal. Um, in this case, there's a exchange on Facebook that's going on and a lot of people getting involved in it. So that's a real mess. How do you skillfully sort of uh, calm that fire? Um, there's a potential legal action. That's another uh, thing to consider. And sometimes something like that is helpful to, to begin to try to stop what's going on for the safety of everyone. So it's, it's um, the, the main point, I think, is recognizing that the mind is so 
the mental states are so important and we really want to do everything that we can to maintain and influence the mind in a positive direction and and support the removal of the unwholesome so unwholesome parts so on wednesday night one of the things i mentioned is if we take from the simile of the saw the five characteristics of speech and we apply them to our own thinking so is this thought true or false is this thought gentle or harsh is this thought coming from a mind of loving kindness or inner hatred especially when we're when we're dealing with an experience that has some hatred in it from from outside but anytime is a thought i'm having can this coexist with a mind filled with metta or not is this um thought is this thought beneficial is there a beneficial purpose behind this and we can ask these same questions about any kind of response we give to aggression is there a beneficial purpose behind this or is it is it something else um, and is this timely is this the right time to say it to think it so it's like that's that gives us some uh, support in interrupting our common mental habits, the train of thought we might take, that actually can lead to either wholesome action or unwholesome action by body and speech. Please repeat those. Yes. Anything someone says and anything we think can either be true or false. It can either be gentle or harsh. It can either be for a good purpose or not a good purpose. It can either be um, from a mind of loving kindness or a mind of inner hatred. It can be timely or untimely. And when we Let's see, there was someplace else I was going to go with this. Um, maybe that will come back. So, so it's, it's very like if we look at like how, how do I want to um, cultivate this? And then there's, there's this opportunity that we can have whenever there's dukkha. This is the this is the perfect time to look. What is it that's really going through my mind? If 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 something's a, a false statement, we have to really be willing to check it because our habits can can help can cause us to think, oh yeah, this is this is the way it actually is. But if we really challenge that, sometimes we can discover that there are other ways to look at things. That it's not necessarily true what we're thinking we're not completely wholly true and still you, we we need to remember that buddhism isn't completely passive it's not like you just let everything happen it's not like you just like it's okay the buddha was very outspoken about what was unwholesome and and to recognize that when we really see the truth of things like, you know, um, abusive behavior, discrimination, you know, things that we, we want to be clear, have the wisdom around to be able to prevent, interrupt, um, call, redirect, and, and, um, and to realize with wisdom the consequences of our actions and the actions that people take in the world. Supporting what's good and having joy around the good actions that 
we we have that we create and also that others create and having the equanimity around those things that are not wholesome and yet also from wisdom taking action so that's my two cents for today i think and i'm interested in hearing any thoughts or questions about those ideas maybe right now i don't see any hands going up maybe it's well, a carrie good... carrie's got her hand up oh okay, okay. oh can i you... guess we're not seeing the aha okay carrie yes can you hear me yes okay i think good enough yeah i think for me the biggest question is always well i am not an arahant i am not enlightened and um i when even though I, I have these concepts of wise speech and wise action, um, I, at the same time, I also have fear and anger. So how does one balance the reality of um, working with all, the complexity of not being an arhant while trying to also have some wisdom in our actions? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. Um, Hope you can hear even with the airplane going over. I really appreciate that because I know uh, I'm not an arahant either. And, but we are on our way there. And this is, this is um, of course, not the only reason we practice. Uh, that is the, the, the result, ultimate result. But we're also practicing to have more peace in our in our life and more skill. And so it's not like we expect perfection around this, but this is how we want to train our mind. So it is training. And and the, re, the way to balance it is that we recognize the fear, the anger as something we want to investigate, understand. It's dukkha. You treat it with the first three noble truths. And we don't want to react out of fear and anger. We want to react from a place of wisdom and stability. When we're angry, we're not at our best in terms of assessing how to respond to something, obviously. And fear, too. I mean, fear is important to pay attention to sometimes. The fear that we feel can really alert us to something we need to understand and we, we need to um, take seriously. So it's not like I'm condemning these felt experiences, but to really work with them and understand them. Now, it's hard in the moment. And one of the things that we can train ourselves to do, particularly um, with anger is to contain it uh, in in the cases where we can walk away and and take care of that first before we respond. It's not always possible, but one thing I can say to myself, and it, I may not be feeling anger, but I might be feeling something else, irritation or something a little more mild, but I'll still say to myself, I'm gonna be really careful about what I say. I've got to like really be extra mindful, you know, knowing that whatever that emotion is that can really throw things off and cause some, you know, um, extra damage. So it really is about training. It's about progressing. It's about learning. And we're not going to be able to do it all the time. And we need to be able to forgive ourselves and we need, need to be able to forgive others, too. But the fact that we can catch it and work with it, you know, at whatever point we're able to kind of, I really like this image of a wedge of awareness. You put that wedge in there, that thin edge goes into between the trigger and the, and the response. And then you, you can, you know, drive it in a little further and a little further, and then you can have some space 
we want to create some spaciousness around what we're experiencing so that we can really take care of it. It's a process. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, Phil and Paula. Well, thank you for this very timely teaching. It, the timing is perfect for me because I got angry this morning. And to get that thin wedge in is extremely difficult. And I did it a little, but not, didn't write, really, was really thinking, super angry, but still responded in not the ideal way. And uh, it's really hard once that adrenaline surge kicks in. Um, but I think you answered my question of how to do it. The thin wedge analogy is very good for me. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It, it, I'm glad you brought up the adrenaline because the chemicals that get released in the system when we have these strong feelings are really significant. And if we can take enough space for that to calm down before we respond, that's ideal. Um, a lot of times we feel such a sense of urgency. And then even if we can kind of get a handle on that and realize, you know, nothing's really going to matter if I wait a half an hour or I come back, you know, later, if I can, if I can start to teach myself that, let's just pause here, nothing's going to change uh, in the time it'll take for me to clear these chemicals. <laughs> you know <what> I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Phil. Lisa? Yes, thank you for this teaching. I also felt that it was very timely. So I particularly appreciate those questions of reflecting on what is the state of the mind um, and is the mind caught in aversion? Um, is the intention to be of benefit. And I'm reflecting on the question of timeliness, particularly when it's wanting to speak for, maybe not you personally are the target, but I often have curiosity around how to speak around issues of injustice. So like on behalf of others, and um, it was coming up for me what you had offered last week around the Buddha often would wait for people to ask for the teachings before offering the teachings. So he's not going around like imposing this, even when it's coming from wisdom, he would look for when people are ready to receive the teachings. And just wondering if you could speak some on that. I was wondering how that might kind of play in here of, you know, when we hear people say things, you know, for example, um, something that's maybe racist, you know, is it, or whatever it may be where there's harm being done in some way, um, say that the mind is calm, you know, but there's also um, maybe the receptiveness of the listener. Um, so curious to know your thoughts on that when people aren't necessarily asking um, to hear your opinion or, or when is it appropriate to speak? Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, of course, we, we encounter a, quite a variety of situations I would say first thing I want to say is it depends somewhat on our relationship to the person who's saying it. Uh, you know, like I'm a parent, but my children are middle-aged people. And in some sense, I still feel like I have some responsibility. Actually, I haven't had to do much correcting of them or, or urge to in a very long time. It's more likely they're going to set me straight on stuff. <laughs> but the, the point being, sometimes our relationship with someone seems to increase the, the, the urge to want to say something and maybe we do have some responsibility there that we wouldn't have with say someone we don't know or maybe we do have a certain amount of permission built into the relationship that we wouldn't have with other people and so we're looking for that um what's what's called um in Pali pavarana like an invitation uh, you know, like, I don't know if you realize it, but you show up for a teaching I'm giving, I feel like I have the invitation to tell you what I think. <laughs> so here we go, you know, but 
but just someone that we're overhearing and maybe it's a stranger um i think it's quite tricky and i really appreciate that the buddha didn't go around proselytizing a lot of times he did it with a question i think if we develop our skill and our understanding of things like racism i mean i am i feel like i'm just scratching the surface uh, someone just gave me a book um, called nice racism and i've just started reading it and you know this is the kind of thing that i want to do to to look at what are this incredible conditioning of my whole life what is where does that land me in some of these um, situations or issues and i want to understand that better so i think it takes work on probably anyone's part to understand like what can i really say to someone that's actually going to help and you know how do i know how to be skillful in this situation i think it's not a there's no simple answer but once we have a better, maybe once I have a better understanding of how I am um, unwittingly complicit in some of these things myself, how I can maybe ask a question that begins a, a conversation that opens up to more awareness and understanding, that would be my hope. And you know, so it's it's like this. This also is related to something the Buddha says about giving criticism um, to our fellow monastics, and and this is the situation in the simile of the saw with this monk. So someone's criticizing his friends, but what is the in the monastic life? What that means is someone is saying, "Oh, um, you're not keeping this rule in a in a proper way, maybe." But the Buddhist has the Buddha has a number of criteria around like what you need to do before you offer criticism. First, you have to make sure you're not doing the same thing. Well, when it comes to something like making racial comments or microaggressions, I, I think I've got a lot of self-reflecting to do first and deeper understanding of what that all means before I can say anything. Maybe once I have a better handle on all of that, maybe I'll have enough inside wisdom experience to bring that wedge of awareness to the situation, just the thin edge. I think a lot of times, I know a lot of times for me in the past, when I've wanted to say something to someone about something they're doing, I could have just said the slightest thing and brought some attention and awareness to it, but you know, like a little, a little tap, where I bring out the sledgehammer, and, you know, and it's uh, worse than ever, you know. Um, so, I think those are the kinds of things to keep in mind, and also I think to keep in perspective our own. Um, degree of potential influence, which is a lot stronger through our actions, maybe even than our words. And, and there's a lot, so much other influence in someone else's experience, like what, where can I actually make a difference and um, try to be realistic around that. That's, that's where I'm at now anyway. <laughs> Um, thanks for the question, Lisa. Cynthia? Hi. Um, th this is uh, in response to Phil's question or comment about, um, about the adrenaline. And I read something recently around that that was really helpful to me. Uh, it was written by a woman named Jill Bolte-Taylor, who was a, mm -hmm. some people know anyway, she's a neuroanatomist who wrote a book about her experiences of having a severe um, stroke. And, and, but she talks a lot about the, the anatomy and the physiology of the brain. And she said that the time that that adrenaline or whatever the physical reaction 
the time that that lasts from um, the initial uh, stimulus, like say somebody makes a comment and there's that, she says it's only 90 seconds. That time is only 90 seconds long. And so if it's going on longer than that, it means you're replaying it. You're, you're, you've, you've brought it, you know, you're uh, contributing it to it. You're like replaying. It's like, why did that person say this? What, how dare they? And so if you can uh, move from, if you can start noticing the thoughts that are being attached and, and, address those in some way it can really help the the physical part uh not drag on so long that's great cynthia i mean i often talk about you know it really is the thoughts mm-hmm. that feeling it and when the buddha talks about this you know four loads of wood in a bonfire and how you know, if you just keep on throwing dry leaves and sticks on there, it's just going to keep going. But if you stop doing that, it will die down. Right. It's very helpful to know that the die down period is 90 seconds. Yeah, that's what she said. And she seems like she knows her stuff. Yeah, that <laughs> is incredible because, yeah. you know, it's so easy to have thoughts run and not realize that they matter. Yeah. It matters. It it sets it it changes your whole like inner and environment and potentially your external environment. And you know, to really so what do you do? Oh, I'm thinking that thought again. Okay. No. This to to really talk to oneself, this is creating more poison. This is creating more trouble set that can i set that aside no i'm not going to go be present with a feeling in the body so it's not like we repress it because if we repress it just comes out in funny ways later but that that recognition that oh yeah i keep thinking about what that person said what that person did every time i think about it i'm I'm adding to the habit of rethinking stuff like that. So this is great. Really, really make that effort. See it for what it is. Yeah, thank you, Cynthia. Mira? I think part of what I'm noticing in myself is that I have like a different response if it's something personal in me that I'm working with versus if I'm aware of something happening like to somebody else or happening to a group of people that aren't me that are in a marginalized um, place and so like I have a different like feeling of responsibility or response so like I, I I was gonna call you guys yesterday, but I ran out of time because I had I had a thing yesterday that was personal where I got angry and um I could have done a lot better. And so and I can see that and get how to work with that even though I failed yesterday. Um different than if I'm seeing um I'm in a context, say of people where there's some relationship and somebody makes a racial microaggression or if I'm seeing somewhere out in the world, somebody do something that's really racist and really harmful. I feel some responsibility to um, speak like as a white person, I feel a responsibility to like speak or name and not leave alone or leave it up to that person. Yeah, And I, I think I understand that in the ideal way, that would obviously be without hatred or ill will, but just out of clarity and an understanding. But I, I anyway, I just am experiencing like, oh, I feel different about whatever my inner thing is with me versus my response to, to, to the other. And like, I think like I had a, a thing happen, I think it was last maybe two years ago, I was like at um, uh, like a hot spring place 
with an outdoor pool and I was the only person sitting in it. And then this guy came in, he sat kind of far away from me. And then a woman came in and sat sort of in between. And I got that they were together. And anyway, she wanted my spot. She liked where I was sitting and she became really aggressive towards me and with, and she was large and I'm smaller. And anyway, she really came at me with her body and tried to shove me out of the spot in a very intensive. I mean, she almost sat on top of me and it was also COVID we were supposed to keep distance and it was very aggressive. And I kind of, I think in my attempt not to really fight in an aggressive way, I froze. Lynn was there and Lynn was standing outside and with her voice and her energy backed the woman off, which was really important that somebody came and Mm -hmm. did that. Then I got out and I made an angry comment. And then this other woman who worked there said to me, we're going to, we're going to help here, but don't do that because then you're going to look like the bad one. And I thought that that was really helpful and it really settled me and I stopped. And then anyway, they were asked to leave the place, which was interesting. And I didn't feel comfortable or safe like for the next day there. So I don't think it just lasts for 90 seconds when something happens depending on, I think there has something to do with your own epigenetics and your own, what you bring to it. Even if you're not feeding it, I think it could last much longer than that in the body. So I needed those people to back me up. Yeah. Lynn and the woman who worked there and then the guy who ran the place. Yeah. Anyway. And I want to do that to people anyway, that's a long, so I'll stop there. Yes, I think what you're saying is important. And I didn't mean to make it sound like, oh, I have to perfectly understand everything before I'm going to step in and do anything. Oh, either. I don't I'm think you sure. said that I was in Tusica. Yeah. I wasn't hearing you say that, I, but I'm hearing that question raised. Yeah, at- no, I think this is really good and important. And it's true, like even in this situation I'm thinking of that I kind of based this yes. conversation on that other people stepped into support. And that's really important. And I didn't hear uh, Cynthia's report, meaning that you don't still have feeling in your body. It's just that the surge of the chemicals passes. And I think that's a difference because once we, once we get triggered, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes up and we don't, we don't have control over that. So we certainly can have the feeling in the body longer but it's not the the original right that's that's how i'm seeing it i don't know enough about um internal chemistry but to know that but that's that's what i'm hearing yeah maybe also the fear part is different than what cynthia was talking about maybe like that applies to anger say more Mm. and then you had a lot of like fear come up with this woman threatening you physically you know so maybe that also and like you said epigenetics all kinds of things packed in there that wasn't just the initial anger kind of yeah it's like fear response more yeah maybe that lasts longer yeah Yeah, i think so depend yeah and but i'm interested in this question of self and then also other and then when you're standing in the privileged location you're duty or responsibility to the others that you both know and don't know. Also, um, another sort of dimension to look at is how much of my sense of self is getting involved in this, which I think was happening for this monk and the nuns. You know, I, I think when the Buddha said to him, he said, don't think about lay life. I think it was don't think in the way maybe you did as a layman um, with your wife or something possessive and self related, you know, like, um, so I, I think that is also a, a, a piece to consider, like, how much is my ego threatened here? Um, that's a different thing than feeling physically threatened, I think, if that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you, Mayor. Neil? 
Um, so this, uh, this whole, your talk and the subsequent um, questions and responses are bringing up for me a couple of different individual situations. Um, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm sort of projecting a little bit into the future and I'm thinking at some point shortly, we're going to have some meditation and I can already tell that because my tendency is to, is to walk away in these kinds of situations. And now they're coming up again in my mind. And I know that as we sit or when I sit again sometime in the near future, I'm not going to be able to keep them from coming up and all of the thoughts of what I should have said, what I should have done. Um, so I guess in a way what I'm about to ask is what can I do in the upcoming meditation that we're about to have <laughs> um, to not, or, you know, like, is there a way and even not in meditation, I guess, you know, like a situation that happened recently that I just sort of walked away from and put it aside. Um, when it comes up again, oh, I should have said this. And What do you do in your mind at that moment? I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but. Yeah, you're making sense, I think. I think you're making sense. I think the the question, because we all do that, right? We all, or I mean, I don't know, but I do. <laughs> I've definitely experienced that and I've heard from others that they do too. So I think, um, I think it depends. I think if we can sort out what's really significant about this situation and what isn't, you know, what it, how is this related to my sense of self? Or is there something more on a basis of wholesome and unwholesome that I want to understand better? So, you know, like, where does this, the dynamics of this situation fall with regard to what the Buddha teaches? You know, is this something that deserves my attention or not? Is this just part of living in samsara and the way, you know, human beings interact? Is this something I can just say, okay, um, in the future, this is the way I want to handle this kind of thing. And then just leave it at that. And then when the thought comes up and you know, you've gotten all the juice out of it that you need for Dhamma development, then you go, no, I'm not going to think about this now. Um, this isn't the right time, or I've already been down that track. So I think I think you can really analyze these thoughts a little bit and come to some decisions around how to work with them. And it, and it does depend. Um, I had a situation when when my mother died. So many of you know I I grew up in a very small town in Indiana, and her ashes I took her ashes back there for a memorial service that was organized by my brother. And after the graveside service, we went to the church I grew up in to have the lunch. Um, but I looked like this, and that is not uh, a common thing there at all. And the interaction with someone who's been a friend of my family for much longer than I've been alive was so uncomfortable. Um, and I thought about that interaction many times afterwards. And it's like, well, what, if, what, if, what can I learn? What can I develop in myself? Um, you know, just you know, and then when it comes up again, is this really for further development or is this just because of something else that isn't worth examination? And I think that, you know, if it's something like, oh, I really wish I had said this thing or that thing, 
or you know whatever you know it's very good chance that saying this thing or that thing wouldn't have made any difference either <laughs> you know to that conversation and so it's like i think it's really helpful to to with kindness for oneself compassion recognizing that whether or not whatever this um, these other people think of me is not really so important or whatever the the issue seems to be to just kind of try to bring some wisdom to it and um, just see where where is it good to just let it let it ride let it go yeah trying to develop our discernment um, yeah. So, Teresa? Hi, thank you. I love that last question from Neil. That's one of my questions as well. So, uh, I heard you say that often in reaction, the, the ego feels threatened. And my, uh, I say, my early training when the ego felt threatened was to back off and to mm -hmm. not be proactive. So I have spent a lot of my life trying to address a situation in the moment rather than backing off, never saying anything, and then feeling bad in, inward and mm -hmm. carrying that bad feeling around. Yeah. So I, I, I struggle with that, with, on the one hand, not having a fiery response to someone that could in, uh, threaten the relationship, I should say. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, not doing anything or backing off and then feeling terrible inside myself. The yeah. idea of, you know, depression is anger turned inward, which I don't want to cultivate. So I wonder if you could address that, that, that fine line. And uh, maybe if you could go over those steps you said in the beginning, because I'd like to write them down about how to, uh, when a situation arises. Thank you. Yeah, I think the two, um, the alternatives you describe, like you said, are kind of on the ends of a spectrum. But that it's a it's a little like the way I think of the the noble eightfold path, the middle way. It's it's not something in between. It's not finding the line and staying on it. It's not like either I respond with um some fire or i re you know retract entirely what's the third option that's completely off that spectrum that scale and it actually has much more skill and stability to it it's a new way to develop and it's i think ideally it would be a response we can look at the sutta we just looked at the buddha responded he didn't just you know, like say nothing, he didn't walk away. He responded, but he didn't respond with anger. He responded with a certain energy, like sometimes it's it's not a bad thing for people to know there's an intensity there so that they that they pay attention. But there's also the like we can really cultivate the ability to have compassion arise, have kindness arise and have clarity arise and say something in the moment that actually has brings some awareness to what's really going on. I think I think that's kind of the idea now. Like, you know, we talk about, well, I failed with this yesterday. That's fine. This is not about like 100% perfection for sure. This is about learning something that's actually different, that's based in a different kind of mental state, in a different kind of cultivation of the heart. And that when even when we can do it a little bit, we should be like, yes, there's, a, there's progress happening here. I'm learning something new that I can do that's not gonna just give the impression that it's okay to walk by and kick me in the gut. <laughs> And then go on, you know, that's not okay. 
and at the same time, you know, like not really like having to deal with the negativity internally, like, you know, not just the negativity internally from being quiet and, and kind of abandoning ourselves, but also the, the negative result from the aggressive response. It's still suffering. So this is really what the Buddha said about the, the two extremes of asceticism and indulgence and sensual desire. They're both suffering. What he offered was something completely different, not moderation between those two. And I think that's the same model we can use for this. So thank you for your question. It opens up a whole new exploration that I think is really, really helpful. How to be skillful, wise, equanimous, peaceful, kind, all in the same go and responsive. Neil? Yeah, well, um, something that just that came up for me as we've continued to talk about this um, rich subject, um, I realized there are kind of two different situations, at least for me, that um, bring this kind of thing up. And one is when, when I feel attacked uh, unfairly or, you know, I'm trying to defend something. And I think from, from something important that I got from the sutta and that I think I've sort of figured out on my own over time is the initial response, if you can get to it, is to ask a question like the Buddha did in the sutta. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's this these other situations where whatever has happened has happened because I did something wrong. I made a mistake and I'm being criticized. And the only response that's really that has any value at all is to start by saying, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and in both cases, it's not always easy because I think because of the ego. But so I'm just sharing that as an insight that I'm having right now. Um, for what it's worth. This is super important. Like as we cultivate on the path, we want to be ready to acknowledge our faults, to really make, make ourselves learn how to do that easily. When we see we've made a mistake, this is like nobody's going to get by without mistakes, like daily. What's important is seeing them, acknowledging them, forgiving them, apologizing, you know, doing what we can to, to, um, to rectify it and to be completely willing to be honest about it. You know, that's really the key that we're not holding anything like I'm going to kind of like act like this didn't happen or I'm going to cover it up with a little bit of a lie or act like I don't remember or any of that junk. Just like really face what we do, what we know, what we don't know, be honest about it. I mean, and recognize that that really feels better. It feels so much better than trying to hide something holding something that's a little icky um, or, or fuzzy. And, you know, this is, this is like the Buddha, whenever someone comes and says, you know, I did this, you know, and, and he's like, this is the way you improve. You acknowledge what you've done, and then you pick up the intention to not do that again. <laughs> and so this is, this is the way we grow in the noble one's discipline, as the Buddha says. So that's a really good point. And we're taught to do something else by the world. The world often encourages us to act like we know when we don't know, to act like we don't know when we know. It often encourages us to try to hide our mistakes. Um, you have to like be out there as if you're like confident and you know, and it's all, well, then you've, you've got this, um, glass armor that just can shatter. Yeah, thank you, Neil.
Did you say glass armor? Yeah. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I just uh, wanted to say that uh, I think, you know, on last Wednesday also, we talked about this a bit and, and today as well. And I think it kind of, to me, also shows how we are so developed in our society and we are so developed from where we were, you know, maybe millennia ago when the Buddha was there. Um, but still that, that first noble truth which the Buddha talks about, you know, about Dukkha being there, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very much, uh, you know, I think somewhere in my mind I'm thinking there's no going away from it. Like, you know, it truly is yes. kind of, it's it's uh, present that's the and, rub yeah. it's samsara greed hatred and delusion aren't gonna just go away anytime in this realm or any other world and so you know to know when to act in order to um you know mitigate that uh, we, we want to do that with wisdom <laughs> and compassion in an effort to make the situation better for the people involved regardless. I mean, the Buddha was definitely outspoken about the injustices of his time. He tried to help people see things in a, in a way that's much more in accord with Dhamma. And he, as we said, he worked with the people who really came to listen and he ask questions that would invite people to want to listen. And so we can do those same kinds of things. And um, yeah, it's, it's a mess, but we can use this mess in a way that we can develop our own heart and mind and be an example for others who want to do the same. So looks like time's up. I hope you get a chance to meditate. <laughs>